The word of God today comes from the first Samuel, chapter 17. It is a part of the story of David and Goliath, part of the larger story of Israel, of Jesus, and of us. We pick up at the action when the Israelites are facing the huge and terrifying Goliath, and no one can be found who is willing to face him in battle. Now, let us listen for God's word. David said to Saul, let no, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the draw, strike it down, and kill it. David said, The Lord who has saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's you Sunday. So far, so good. But... We have to admit there's a little nervousness in the sanctuary, uh, not just because we're waiting to uh, see what surprises these youth may have in store for us, but I think we have to be honest, there, there is a little bit of am- ambiguous feeling that we have. I mean, we, we do love these kids, but we don't always like them. Um, let's, let's get that clear. There, there has always been a certain generational hostility. Uh, in my generation, in the 60s, the who gave voice to that when in the song, My Generation. My, my peop, people try to put us down just because we get around. That, that sort of anger at the older people. In the movie Greenberg, Ben Stiller's character unleashes a tirade against a room of 20-somethings whom he believes have been ruined by sensitive parenting. This is old news, really. How could we not be just a little bit terrified of them taking over? Of maybe a little resentful even. I mean, their evolutionary job is to correct our mistakes, ignore our hard-won wisdom, and replace us, whether we're ready or not. They need less sleep. They look better in their clothing. They seem so breezily confident. I think we need to stop, get a hold of ourselves, maybe reflect on our church mission statement. Maybe that'll ground us a little bit. There's one phrase there that says, serving passionately. We're we're a, a community of faith that wants to serve Christ passionately. B.B. King, the great blues guitarist, he said he wanted his guitar to connect with human emotion. And I think youth want their faith in God to connect with their emotion. They want to feel God's presence, not just know it intellectually, but feel a sense of the assurance of God's love and power. Still, they do search thoughtfully. Let's not sell them short or patronize them. 
No, they have not read a lot of the theological classics. They don't speak the language of philosophical categories. But as you will soon hear, they do reflect on their experiences and on the inheritance that they are receiving from their culture, their family, their church. And gradually they are shaping a posture in life vis-a-vis God and faith. And so they all reflect as we do, and they need a community of faith in which to do that work, to think about their own story. Story. Story is the primary way that God's revelation comes to us. The Holy Spirit's literary genre of choice, you would say, is story. Story isn't simply a a way of speaking in which we graduate to some more sophisticated language when we get educated and and adult-like. Story, the scriptures are full of stories, written stories, in one way or another. And the Holy Spirit weaves the storytelling together into one vast and holy literary architecture that reveals God, reveals God as Father, Son, and Spirit in the way that God chooses to make God's self known. Story. Somewhere along the way, we, most of us anyway, pick up the habits of extracting from the stories what might be called spiritual principles or moral guidelines or theological truths. But that's not really story. Story, the stories of the Bible are not imposed, are not to impose on our lives, to corset us into a way of living. Rather, they are there to invite us into a new way of life. They are a spacious and free space for us to enter into that world. And so in today's story, we hear about young David, maybe the age of some of these folk, the youngest member of the family doing the most uh, uh, unwanted job. He's having to stay out in the fields with the animals, keeping uh, watch over the sheep by night. He's used to being treated as the least important. He's the one who's not included in the adult conversations. He's not given important responsibilities. He's just not trusted or not even thought of that way. I mean, he's just too young. And we have all these older brothers we can rely on. Meanwhile, there's a war going on. The war against the Philistines. And it has reached a crisis big bad Goliath has come out to challenge the champion of the Israelites to a duel. And no one is stepping up except David, little David. David, reflecting on his own youthful experience out there on the hillsides around Bethlehem protecting sheep. 
reflecting on the way God has been with him. Think about the the theological uh, topics we've been covering in our sermon series. What do we stand for here at Riverside? We've talked about the importance of, of inclusion in a community of faith. We've talked about the sovereignty of God, the providence of God, the Hesed faithful love of God. All of these things David was learning on the hillside, protecting sheep from lions and bears. God with him. In dialogue with his elders, his tradition, he was entering into a conversation of faith on those hills day and night, and and came to a point where he could rise to the occasion of this crisis of community for the Israelites. Today, we're going to hear uh, some different ways that our youth are also reflecting on this story, their tradition, their life experiences. First, we're going to see a, a short little skit that is a, a, a modern-day uh, reflection on David and his youthfulness uh, coming to a point of usefulness in the time of crisis. And so I'm going to invite Alice and Kendall and Emily to come forward and share Okay, class, it's time to present. Emily, you go first. Why do I always have to go first? You know I'm afraid of presenting. Flash forward 25 years. Emily is now a teacher because her tough elementary school teacher helped her overcome her fear of public speaking, even though she didn't know it at the time, God used her child experience, childhood experience to prepare her for a life of service and faith. And now we have uh, two young folk that are going to share some of their reflections about their journey heretofore with God, and so first I'm going to invite Margaret Ann Riley to come forward. Hi, I'm Margaret Ann Riley. I'm a junior in high school, and I've attended Riverside my whole life. <clears throat> I'd like to talk about prayer. I think we all have our own idea as to what prayer is and what it means to us. And as my life has evolved, my idea of prayer has also evolved. When I was younger, I knew only one version of prayer. Every night I regurgitated something like, thank you God for mom, dad, Mary Graham, Hillary, and Key, grandpa, granny, Bigloo, and so on. And I don't want to say it wasn't meaningful, but to some extent, it was surface level, one-dimensional. The words held meaning, but my heart didn't back them up. No connection freely existed between me and God. God, 
God, that word was so powerful to me then. It was so almighty and authoritative and influential and forceful and sovereign. Could I really form a personal relationship with the same God who commanded Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and possesses a heavenly host of angels at his disposal? God seemed kind of daunting. So daunting, in fact, that I just kind of ignored him. I was in this spiritual rut last year when my friend Jasmine Mina, who played on my basketball team, invited me to go to Kenya with her family. Her mother, Debbie Mina, grew up in the small village um, of Embu, Kenya, and she returned every summer with her family to visit her relatives and give back to the community. I had no idea what to expect. I'd never even left the country, and now I was flying halfway around the world without my parents to a country that had recently made the headlines for a horrific mall shooting and Somalian terrorist threats. I wasn't scared, but I was definitely aware that I was heading into the unknown. What I didn't know, though, was that my relationship with God would change so drastically. Within the first two days after we arrived in the capital, Nairobi, a political rally was to take place downtown. And that day we were scheduled to drive to Imbu. I didn't know what the rally entailed, but the night before it was to happen, I woke up to the quiet, concerned voices of Miss Mina and one of her family members outside my door. I only picked up bits and pieces I heard, out of hand and fire on the roads and notification from the U.S. Embassy. Because fear and emotion intensifies at night, my thoughts started to run together and I began to imagine a wide variety of worst-case scenarios, starting with Somali soldiers breaking down the doors and taking me hostage. Breathless, fumbled my way into the bathroom, terribly aware of how far I was from home. In those moments, I felt God right next to me, no longer the distant deity with a smiting stick in his hand. The only thing that seemed real in that moment was his presence. Two days later, when the rally had come and gone, and I'd finally accepted that no Somalis were coming for me, the Minas and I traveled to Embu, where I, grew, where I grew closer to God in a different way. We made our way from the Embu hospital, where we visited sick children and adults, and ended up in the Mina family home, a modest, simple house, but what appeared a jewel amongst teetering, run-down, wooden shacks. That evening, Jasmine and I decided to bring out the soccer ball to kick around, and one by one, the village children flocked to the sound of playing. Kenyans love soccer, and about 20 of us stood in a, a circle pretty soon. As the sky grew dark, I spotted a pair of eyes outside the circle. 
So I made my way in their direction and found a little girl who said her name was Hope. She wanted to join, but was too scared. She didn't hardly speak any English, but as I reached out my hand, she leapt into my arms. As I watched her giggle and smile and pet my blonde hair in wonder, I again realized God's close proximity and his love manifested in all the children around me. Mrs. Mina had passed out glow sticks, and I stood in awe as I witnessed the bright spectacle of glowing figures running and laughing and loving. That connection now existed between me and God. I didn't have to sit down next to my bed and utter a few memorized words. I just had to be, be with God in all of his glory. I couldn't possibly think of God as anything but my loving, comforting, life-giving Savior and friend. When I returned home, my transformed relationship with God didn't change. If anything, it intensified. My experiences in Kenya became part of who I was and who I am. At home, in the familiar world of flat screen TVs and clean-smelling people and recognizable food, I was thankful to be with my family and friends. But at the same time, I felt separated from the country and the people that I had fallen in love with. Since my return, I've thought of Kenya almost every day. And after praying and trusting God, I've decided to go back this summer to, lend, to further lend myself to the people that left such an imprint on me. Inviting God into my heart has proved to be the most eye-opening experience of my life, and I'm so excited to move forward in our relationship. Now, Leah McNeil. Hello, my name is Leah McNeil. I'm a senior in high school, and I've been a member of Riverside Presbyterian Church my entire life. Growing up here, my family was, and still is, very involved. This made the beginning of my faith journey of finding a church home very easy. Though I thought I knew everything and had no doubts about my faith, I soon found out, I, while going through confirmation, that this was not true. I realized that I actually had many questions about my faith and had so much more growing to do. During my 10th grade year, Brianna, our youth director, suggested that I apply to be an enabler at a place called Massanetta Springs. And my experiences there have been the best times of my life. Before going, I was not the most outgoing person in youth group. I mostly kept to myself, and when it came time to leading something or speaking in front of a group, I would never do it. So going to a, into a situation where I knew nothing or no one, except for the fact that I was going to be doing those two things I was terrified most to do, you could say I was completely out of my comfort zone. 
When I first got to Massaneta, everyone was so kind and welcoming. The very first person I saw ran up to me and gave me a huge hug. That instantly made me feel as though I made the right decision. I have gone now for two years, and this summer will unfortunately be my last. Some people here know what Massaneta is, but for those who do not, Massaneta Springs is a Presbyterian Conference Center in Harrisonburg, Virginia, that holds a middle school conference every summer. Another question you might be wondering is, what is an enabler? Isn't that someone who influences you to do bad things? Though, I, though that is one definition of the word, at Massaneta they use the word to mean someone who influences good things by being a leader for those middle schoolers. There, I was a leader of a group of middle schoolers and adults where we played games, had discussions about worship, and went to workshops. I was also a part of a particular team. My first year, I was on the theme team where I helped with worship by creating ways to convey the message of worship and perform them, read scripture, and many other things throughout worship. My second year, I was on activities team, which where we led kids and energizers, created and set up activities, and helped the kids during those activities. Throughout both of these jobs and living with a group of 22 high schoolers, I learned so much about myself, life, and especially my faith. In small group, I learned so many things by the questions the kids asked me, because some of them I didn't even know the answer. While I was teaching these kids about God and the theme each day, I was learning right there with them. My biggest growth in my faith, however, came from my fellow enablers. The people I was with were from different backgrounds, from all over the country, and different ages, but we all had one thing in common, our love for God and our want to share it with these middle schoolers. When people think of high schoolers, there's this stereotype that we're all completely absorbed with friends, social media, ourselves, having fun, and not caring about anything else. However, this stereotype is not true because of groups like this. During our time together, we all grew in our faith so much because we all had questions and wanted to learn from each other. One time, I came downstairs of the house that we shared to find a group of enablers and our enabler coordinator sitting around in deep conversation about many things, from current events happening in the General Assembly of the PCUSA to all kinds of beliefs about things like heaven. As I listened to this conversation, I learned so much about all their opinions, and they helped me to understand my own. As I'm about to graduate and go to Massaneta for my last time, I realized not only did I grow in my faith, but I've also grown in many other ways for my experiences there. I've become more confident, outgoing, and a better leader, which I've used in my life. I've become more of a leader in the church by having the opportunity to serve as the youth elder and by helping more in youth group. I've enjoyed every minute of these and always will cherish my times I've had, which I would have never done without the growth I made at Massaneta, in myself and in my faith. Whether through the love of a little girl named Hope halfway around the world, or through a community called into being 
to serve others, or in the daily life of middle school and high school, our young people are in conversation with God. They are searching thoughtfully, even as they look for a purpose and direction in their future to serve passionately. In a way, they are like David, who was immersed in the largeness and the immediacy of God as he served as his father's helper with the family business. He experienced God's strength in protecting the sheep. He experienced God's love. He experienced the the protection and power of God more strongly than the ferocity of the animals and the enemies that came upon him. Praying and singing in meditation and in adoration, his life was shaped. He began to develop what Eugene Peterson calls a God-centered imagination instead of a Goliath-centered imagination. And that is a gift, perhaps, that we all, of all ages, can discover and grow into together, to have our imagination shaped by the kingdom of God, by the Spirit among us, including all in the conversation. Amen. And now let us receive the morning offering, our tithes and our gifts.